Hey yo, let me holler at you for a minute. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? If you have, let me tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me break it down for you. Anchor has tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, come here, it's free. Don't let nobody know I told you that. So, if you're interested in starting your own podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome everybody, I'm Ron G, and this is Wrestling With My Thoughts, a WWMT Entertainment original, and I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to the show. No matter when you are or where you are, the fact is you're listening, and I appreciate that support. So go on ahead and sit back, relax, and listen as I wrestle with my thoughts. Wrestling With My Thoughts podcast would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Chance, creating hope and needed care for everyone. Chance provides outpatient counseling services for individuals with mental health and addictive disease needs. At their clinics, you will be assessed to determine your specific treatment needs. The staff at Chance then works together with you, your family, your community partners, and other supportive people that you choose to develop your strengths, skills, and self-determination that will allow you to live an empowered life. If you or someone you love is in need of the care and services offered by Chance, please contact them at 877-393-8184, or you can email them at contactus at chancecreatinghope.com. Org. For more information, please visit www.chancecreatinghope.org because everyone deserves a second chance. Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of the Wrestling With My Thoughts podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ryan G., Thank you guys for joining me once again for another episode. Taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to the show, no matter where you are, when you are, or how you are. The fact is you're listening, and I appreciate that support. Tonight is a very special night. I have a very special guest with me, someone that I've known for uh, quite a while now. And there's a lot to talk about. Our main topic of discussion is going to be mental health, with May being... Uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, and specifically, I would like to focus on the uh, the mental health awareness for men, because I feel like a lot of times we men tend to brush past that sort of thing. Plus, we want to talk about some of the other things going on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, allow me to introduce to you a very good friend of mine, a very uh, intelligent, uh, uh, entrepreneurial 
the all-around Renaissance man, Mr. Sean G. Sean Garvey. What's going on, man? Hey, good evening, Ron G. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Just having a, uh, a busy day. I've been running around all day uh, celebrating the graduation and birthday of uh, one of my nieces. So I was sitting down to finally kind of relax. <laughs> good. Good. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of graduation pictures on social media. I've just been so flooded with pictures of graduation pics. It reminds me back in the day when I graduated from high school and I was like, man, if social media was uh, in existence at the time I graduated high school and college, oh, I would have had my timeline flooded with graduation pics of me back in the day. But you know, it is what it is. But congratulations to uh, yours for their big milestone. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, Sean, I'm noticing you, you're really low on my end. Um, I'm not sure how I sent on your end. Do you have an uh, ability to turn the volume up just a little? Let me see. It's uh, as far as it can go. I can talk louder. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it may sound fine uh, once I uh, upload everything. Uh, okay. Just on my end, I can I can tell that you're a little bit low. So okay. if it is, I'll if it is, I'll listen to the to the uh, upload before I put it out, and I'll touch base with you and see if maybe we can re-record or something like that. Uh, but you can and, hear me fine, right? You can hear me good. What's that, Sean? You you can hear me good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as long as I'm not talking over you, I hear you just fine. Okay, okay, cool. Now, folks, like I've told you before, this is a top-notch production here. I pull no punches. I give my listeners only the best. <laughs> uh, Sean, <laughs> just uh, with this being your first time on, I just want to let you know, feel free feel free to say uh, whatever you feel, however you feel. I don't have any filters on this, on this show. And uh, so if it comes up, let it come out because I, uh, I don't believe in trying to hold somebody back from what they're trying to say. Uh, okay, I agree. I love it. Let's do it. Okay, all right. So, uh, Sean and I have known each other for what, Sean? For 10, 15 years now? Yeah, it's it's been over 10 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. I know when, when I was trying to think about how long we've known each other, going back to the days of, of meetings of an uh, organization that both of us were a part of, um, it's it's been a long time. Um, I got to meet Sean through um, his cousin, who I'm, I'm good friends with, uh, and got to know Sean, and Sean's a good dude. Sean's got a good heart, and Sean's a busy, busy man. Sean, if you don't mind, man, run down some of the things you've got going on because I can't keep track. Yeah, hey, you, you're not the only one. Uh, sure, so, <laughs> so yeah, you're right. I, I do have a very busy life. So I work in the profession of media broadcasting, which is all things considered radio, podcast, TV, and film. But I work mostly on the radio and podcast side. Uh, I have a morning show podcast in which you've been on before called The Beat Break Morning Show with Star Kells and DJ Rollum. We're syndicated on multiple platforms and it's, it's also on my network reach one network and beat break 87 fm uh we're also on demand everywhere uh so i do that and outside of the podcast arena i host a show once a week called the mental space on news and talk 1380 wlk in atlanta 
Uh, and it's a show uh, that ties in what you're going to talk about tonight. Uh, it's a show in which we talk about all things considered mental health in our community. Um, uh, but outside of that as well, I am the founder, CEO, and owner of Reach One Communications, LLC. Uh, it's a parent company of Beat Break 87 FM, Podcast FM. So I specialize in helping getting podcasters their own hub when it comes to airing their own content. Uh, so I own my own radio station slash podcast network. I'm also a screenwriter. I'm working on a project right now called Unemployment Check, which is also a podcast. It's a scripted podcast series. And uh, what else? I, I haven't been keeping count with you, other you stuff so I've been doing. Going, you got to ask yourself what else. <laughs> yeah, I know because I do. I do so much. Um, I, I'm also a poet. I, I released a poet found dead last year in 2021. And I'm working on a new spoken word project that's in the works right now. Uh, I, I pretty much just am a producer, writer. I do all things considered media. Like I said, I've been on a few TV shows, worked on a few film projects and things like that, and also uh, do a bit of activism in the community, you know. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. <laughs> 19 years in the broadcasting business. Wow, wow. And uh, just a side note that has nothing to do with anything you just said, I figured out why I could hardly hear you. Um, I didn't have my volume turned up. <laughs> oh, okay. So, <laughs> so, I, that, so I can talk. So I can talk a little bit lower then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was on me. Um, so folks, check out check out Sean um, online. Uh, you can find him on Facebook. You can find him uh, on all major social media platforms. He's a good dude. He can he can help a lot of people. He's got the uh, the ability to do some community outreach. Um, and that's how we met, actually. Sean and I were both members of the same organization doing uh, local community help here in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And uh, our friendship fostered since then. We've spent nights standing outside talking to like one, two o'clock in the morning. Um, mm -hmm. Spent two, three hours on the phone talking all things life. Um, and not too long ago, um, I went through my battle with uh, an extreme battle with my depression. And uh, it's been about two years now. And I was at what I term my rock bottom. Um, Sean, I don't even know if I've expressed this to you, but I'd reached a point where um, I no longer wanted to live. And um, truthfully, the only thing that, that kept me here was my son. Um, I didn't want to put him through the uh, the pain and hurt and trauma that comes along with losing a parent. So um, I had to find a way to, to, to make it. And um, I had some great people at my job uh, who, who took me aside and pointed me in the right direction um, as far as things that I could use to my advantage to help me during that time. And long story short, um, I've been in therapy since then and um, been working on myself, learning the ways that I've contributed to, to my own problem, so to speak. And uh, it's been eye-opening for me and I'm, I'm learning a lot about myself. And Sean also went through uh, uh, an emotional and, and 
uh, hard period for himself. I'll let him explain what was going on. But um, I reached out to him where I think we reached out to one another. Um, and, you know, I, I felt what he was going through because it wasn't too long before that I was going through the same thing. And um, I reached out to Sean because both of us had gone through something similar. Both of us are men. And it is Mental Health Awareness Month. So I, I wanted him to come on and share his story. And then we just kind of discuss some of the things that in, uh, encapsulates mental health. And it's specifically geared towards men. No offense to the ladies who may be listening. But the reason I say that is because um, I feel like a lot of men shy away from admitting when they're struggling with a problem. Uh, a lot of men have been programmed to believe the, the macho bravado bullshit that this society puts on us, that we're not supposed to cry, we're not supposed to feel, and all this stuff, and holding on to it only makes things worse. So, Sean, I'm going to turn it over to you to, um, you know, uh, no pressure whatsoever, okay? First and foremost, you share only what you feel comfortable sharing, and uh, then we can we can go from there. Okay, sure. And, and just a side note, I heard you use the BS word. So I'm like, oh, can we cuss on this podcast? Maybe. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. My parents don't listen. My mom doesn't listen because she, she doesn't understand technology well. That's not a shot at my mom. It's just the reality. My dad tried listening, but because of my points of views on some subjects, he can't do it. <laughs> so I got you. Uh, yeah, man, and, and it's not you know it's not that I didn't cuss before that, but it's just this is me on this radio uh, uh, podcast. Yeah, so, yeah. Drop whatever you feel. If, if if the need comes up, let it fly. Okay, well, cool. You, I'm I'm from radio, so I know how to conduct myself when it comes to <laughs> answering questions like these and vice versa. So it is all good. Well, yeah. Uh, just to before I share a quick testimony. I honestly didn't know much about mental health before 2020. I knew that there was a such thing as depression. I knew that as anxiety, trauma, uh, schizophrenia, et cetera, et cetera. And I did not know that all of those things tied into mental health. Uh, I knew that I had different emotions and different things that I was going through in my personal and in my professional life before 2020 but all of a sudden it just took a toll on me mentally spiritually and even physically uh, because of course in 2020 a lot of us experienced uh, something that was very unprecedented and that was of course the COVID-19 pandemic mm -hmm. um, but that same year I lost two people um, I, of course my cousin and I that you spoke of, uh, we lost our grandmother. She was 86 years of age when she transitioned. And she passed away the same month as my um, longtime friend and also a, a co-host of the morning show, Signature Phrase. They both died the same month. And um, my girlfriend at the time was my support system. I, I looked to her for emotional support, and everything else that couples and lovers do when they are in a intimate, romantic relationship with each other. So my girlfriend at that time and I, we were together since 2018. And just like any other couple, Ron, we went through our challenges and things of that sort. 
And uh, a few months later, of course, the pandemic happened where we ended up being socially distanced from each other, just in protection of both her and her daughter. Uh, And so that left a bit of a strain between us because of the fact that we didn't see each other for that period of time during the pandemic. And to make the long story short, um, basically, um, she did something that she said she did when I was um, doing a recorded episode of the morning show, which I won't go into too much detail about it. But um, we had a couple of conversations uh, about that particular situation and she broke things off with me, which put me in a very dark place later on because I was just so, so depressed from it. I was depressed. I had anxiety issues. And just like you said, I, I wanted to take my own life. I had suicidal thoughts and I just did not want to wake up and be productive. It caused me to be less productive in the things that I'm used to doing and things that I wanted to do. Um, so I've been through a emo- emotional roller coaster uh, for quite some time because of that. And I did seek therapy. Um, I, I, of course, was referred to three therapists that I spoke to over the phone and in person. Uh, and, and, and it helped me to some extent having to talk to them about my issues and about things that I experienced um, over the years from being a teenager to an adult. Uh, but I still needed um, a, a bit more help and I still needed to heal from that particular situation that happened in, in 2020, you know, um, because this this year, that year 2020, even though the pandemic hit and it affected a lot of people, especially people that I know that are in my circle, it was still supposed to be a great year for me having to uh, go and get newer opportunities and in hopes of making a making it another year into my once upon a time relationship with my ex. But some things don't turn out that the way they supposed to because of reality or whatever your uh, whatever fate um, does. But, you know, at, at the same time, it was just so many things I was going through from a personal aspect that I, I knew a, a lot of things about myself that I didn't know. And um, that prompted me to do a show on mental health, in which I spoke of a few moments ago, called The Mental Space with Sean Garvey on WALK. And uh, that's part of my journey. I'm still on this journey of trying to, or not even trying, I, I don't want to use the word trying, but continuing on to find peace and tranquility in myself in order to be a better version than I was in the past and even yesterday. Sean, let me let me break in for just a second. You you just said something that is key to folks like yourself and myself who've gone through something like this. You said that you were trying, and then you stopped and you changed that word. Um that's something that I've been doing as well Um, because I've learned that a lot of times we, we speak in these, uh, these finite words or manners that we, we don't leave ourselves any option other than the worst case scenario. 
for instance, I used to say I had a bad day. Now I'm, I'm trying to, to remind myself to say I had not such a good day, not a bad day, but just not such a good day. Um, so I think that's very key for people who may be struggling with, with depression, anxiety, PTSD, or as you said, it, everything that encapsulates uh, mental health. Um, 2020 and the, the lockdown here in the state of Georgia was an absolute um, unprecedented, as you said, event. And it, it, it put a lot of people in solitary confinement, so to speak. For me, it wasn't that big of a deal because I'm not antisocial, but I do have um, very bad social anxiety if I'm around people I don't know. It, it just, I have to get out of there. I'm not comfortable. So um, it, it just, it put everybody on the spot and uh, brought a lot of things for, for a lot of people to the forefront uh, because they were, they were forced to, to spend a lot of time with themselves and reflect on things. Um, so, yeah. And, and another thing you said that really resonates with me is the fact that you've, through this process, you've learned a lot about yourself. And that's very important because it wasn't until I moved into this apartment that I'm in right now that First and foremost, it was the first time I ever lived completely and solely on my own in my entire life. And I was 42, I think, at that time. And I didn't know myself without the, the previous relationship that I had with my ex-wife. I had been with her so long that I'd almost taken on this identity that also involved her. So I didn't know myself. Um, so I'm right there with you, man. I, I have learned a lot about myself through this process. Right. Indeed. Um, indeed. Uh, you know, I think as as adults, as we get older and older, we don't think the same way that we thought 10 years ago. We are always evolving and changing mm -hmm. into another version of ourselves uh at times it may not be a great version of yourself you may turn out to be 10 times worse than what you were 10 20 years ago and it could result from not dealing with trauma or not dealing with adversity or even the people that you associate yourself with um, and mm -hmm. that's why nowadays you have so many conversations than ever before about mental health, mental health, and mental health, why you should go and seek therapy. I, I do agree that therapy is not meant for everybody, but just the access to going to see somebody and yes. just talking to somebody and say, hey, listen, I'm just here to talk. If I need three, four more sessions, cool. But if this ain't for me, then it ain't for me. Uh, I think going to see a licensed therapist or a counselor or somebody will just help you not have so much uh, in you or, or prevent you from holding everything in and not being able to express everything that you need to express to Absolutely. someone that that's in that particular profession. I mean, it's one thing to talk about it with your friends and with your family members and, and what have you. But at the same time, having somebody outside of your network, outside of your or of your circle can be beneficial at times. Right. Because I, 
first, if, if I open up to my, my dad or my mom or even my son for that, for that matter, if I open up to them, um, they're almost expected to say what they think I want to hear and or they're not giving me um, solid advice in terms of it's not because they're trying to sabotage me. It's just because they're they're trying the way they know how to encourage me. Um, and that's why um, I agree with you, first and foremost, completely, that therapy doesn't work for everyone. Um, I was very fortunate in the fact that the very first therapist I, I tried, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I, I, I found somebody that clicked with me. And um, it helps me in the sense that I can talk to somebody and I can say whatever I feel and there's no judgment. There's no there's no preconceived notion of how they think of you because they're there in a professional capacity and they have the the wherewithal to be able to kind of break things down for you. Because I'm, I'm for me, I'm a person that likes to ask the question, why? I'm I'm almost kid like in that in that sense, being that um I'm that I'm that person that likes to take the radio apart to see how it works and then put it back together. Right. Put it back together. I want to see if I can improve on what it was before. And what comes with that is me taking on a lot of stuff to for lack of a better term that isn't mine to carry. For instance, um this this tragic school shooting that happened in Texas a, a few days ago. Um, before I, I learned to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Before I learned how to uh, uh, deal with things properly, I would have taken that situation on and would have would have tried to take on the feelings of of those people. It's not that I was. And I want I want to be clear for the people out there listening. It wasn't that I was trying to mimic or trying to um, to put on a front and act like I was as affected as those families. That's crazy. I would let me rephrase that. I'm also trying not to use the word crazy anymore. Um, that would be it. Well, crazy. I'm sorry. There's no other way to say it. But um, what I mean is, I. I, I'm empathetic to the point that I hurt and I had problems setting boundaries with people. I had meaning I, I was whenever anyone would call me, no matter what I was doing, I would say yes and go help. Um, so I had a problem setting boundaries. Um, I also had a really, really big issue with self-love. Um, I don't even know if I shared this with you, Sean, in our conversations, but um, I viewed myself as unlovable, uh, not deserving of love. Um, I felt like I didn't deserve good things. I felt like I wasn't intelligent. I wasn't handsome. Just everything, every negative thing you could think about a person, that's what I thought about myself. Digging into things with therapy, I understand where some of that comes from. And like you said, I'm not going to go into, into that story right now. Someday I will, but right now, not the time or place. But uh, it left me feeling like 
shit. Um, bluntly, it, it left me feeling like just a, a horrible person. And the first thing for me that had to be broken down is the lack of love that I had for myself. I wouldn't say I had self-hatred, but I definitely didn't have self-love. And I had to learn that there are good qualities about me, that there are good things about me, that I am deserving of love, all of this stuff. And that was a big step for me. Did you find yourself struggling with that? With self-love? Yes. I, I say I struggled the most with that in my younger years than in my adult years, only because in my younger years, I've been teased a lot. I've been teased about my size, about certain parts on my body and stuff, and, and not being good enough. Yes. Uh, so I would say I had a struggle with that more so in my younger years than as an adult, you know, even when it comes to the color of my skin, for some of your listeners that may not know or may never have seen my face before, I am dark skin. I've been mistaken by people like Wesley Snipes and Akon. So, <laughs> so I, I, I've had that comparison, Eddie Murphy and, and all of them, all the dark skin guys out there. Um, but just from the, the younger years in, in school of being teased and things of that sort. Um, yeah, I, I dealt with that. And I've questioned plenty of times to my higher power, to the creator of all things. Why did you make me into this? Why couldn't I be, What? why could I have not been born to look like this particular celebrity or this yeah. particular person? You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah I've, I've asked myself those questions in my younger years. And, and talking about younger years, um, when all of this came came about, my my struggle where I hit my rock bottom, when all of this came about, it was a complete shock to everybody in my family. Because something I'm sure you can relate to is having to put on that that face, that smile, and act as if everything is okay. And nobody in my family would have ever conceived that I was where I was at that point. Because I all I was always on in terms of when I was around people, that smile was on, that 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 face was on, and you never knew the chaos that was going through my head at the time. But when all of it came out and I was talking to my parents, I finally revealed to them the way I explained it is I have felt like this for as long as I can remember that I can remember, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, I can remember when I was a very young child, um, just being heartbroken. If say a cousin came over to visit with his parents or whatever, and when they would leave, I would be very heartbroken that they left. And I, I, would, I would struggle with, um, being around people that I didn't know. And just all these things that I felt as a child, I felt worthless. And that just manifested itself more and more as I grew older. Again, nobody knew that because I didn't talk about it. First and foremost, I didn't know how to talk about it. 
I didn't know what I was going through. The way I reason things is that this is just me. This is my personality. This is who I am. Never did I understand that I was chronically depressed, that I had severe social anxiety, that I had PTSD from some things that happened to me. Mm -hmm. And now I understand that. So going back a little bit, when I said I always had the questions, why? That helped me understand why. I never understood. Why do I feel like this? Why this? Why that? And therapy and talking through some things and understanding some things and how one thing relates to another, the light went off in my head. Oh, okay. That's my why. That, okay. Now let's work on that. Um, so for me, uh, it, a large part of what I'm working on for myself is healing that child in me. And that's been a process, brother. It's been hard because it's 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 hard to reprogram your brain when for I'm 46 for 46 years uh, I've been thinking one way now I have to retrain and reprogram my brain to think differently because what I was thinking put me in a really bad place and it's not re- it's it's not real it's not reality. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't know if you experienced anything like that. Um, now, well, can I say something? Um, sure, absolutely. That? Yeah. So uh, we live in a society where men, and let's just keep it real because we're both men. Uh, we live in a society where we're socially engineered uh, and conditioned to just be macho. Uh, That we can't be emotional, we can't cry, we can't show our sensitivity side. We're supposed to only have this big shield on us at all times and be Superman. Because if we show the world or if we show people that we're very vulnerable, they will look at us as weak. Mm -hmm. Or they will look at us as being suspect questionable or use a word from the lgbtq community or 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 some sort of thing Mm -hmm. so i I think it goes back to the societal standpoint of how they want us to be and how they want us to be uh conditioned like it's okay for a woman to be vulnerable it's okay to um see a woman cry and be emotional because women are built to be emotional people but at the same time um we we as men are so uh trained to just be protectors in which we are like we're born and wired to be problem solvers uh if you hear some men say that oh you know just like in relationships like oh if she has a problem I just come right in and figure out a way to fix the issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to come to terms as men, as me, as you, Ron. We got to come to terms that we can't fix everything. We're not going to be Superman all the time. In some situations, of course, uh, we do what we got to do. And, and, of course, we're going to do our best to protect. But... We, we have to come to the realization that we just can't 
not have this shield over us all the time whenever we are in front of people or uh, around family members and friends or whatever. Like when somebody asks you, how are you doing? And you tell them, fine. Uh, I'm doing fine. I'm doing okay. You got to ask yourself, are you really fine? Are you really okay? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a reason why they're asking you that question. Like, how are you doing? Just like you um, asked me at the very beginning of the show, how are you doing? I could have told you right off the gate, well, Ron, I'm be honest with you, I'm not doing too well. But I'm being honest at that point. I'm being very transparent at that point because if it's something that I'm going through at the moment, but yet I'm still calling into your show, then that's my way of being vulnerable and being transparent than ever before because now I'm in a place in my life where if somebody asks me, how am I doing? You, you know, you're going to get three answers. You're going to get three simple answers. Um, but for the most part, I tell people, hey, every day is paradise um, because I just have a different outlook on life after going through those adversities that I was just telling you and your listeners about just a few moments ago. But after I say every day is paradise, but hey, listen, let me tell you what's going on. You know, and if you care to hear, cool. If not, then it's all good because I know other people that I can talk to my issues and problems to. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, you know, you got to ask yourself and men, you know, to your male listeners as well. We got to start asking ourselves, are we really fine? Are we really okay? It's like what people have been saying. most recently, especially with mental health, and of course, May is mental health. Every month is Mental Health Awareness Month. But just like, what, just like what people have been saying recently, it's okay to not be okay. <laughs> it really is okay to not be okay. Uh, and it's more reasons why you and and your listeners and, and both men and women should go and seek help and talk to a therapist or just talk to somebody. If you are unable to speak to a therapist, talk to somebody about your issues, your problems, and then work it out from there. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of telling people um, don't suffer in silence because uh, I did that for many, many years and it wreaked havoc on me for one. But Sean, I also realized that, I missed out on a lot of life itself. I look back at the things I didn't do because for one reason or another, I was afraid of, of stepping out, doing those things. Um, and it, it's just, I don't look at it as time wasted because I'm, I'm a realist. I can't go back to the past and change things. So I so I take what I'm learning and try to provide that to someone else. And like you say, that's a that's a great thing to say. Every day is paradise. Because every day I wake up and take a breath, that's paradise. Um I, things could be so much worse. Things could be like they were for me two years ago. And you're you're absolutely right in in saying that we as men have to become okay 
with not being okay. Um, this this consumer driven society, this um, the 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 traditional roles that this society forces upon a person. And when I say that, what I mean is forcing that that male bravado um, dogma on someone and that all men, we should be, the, what I like to say is we should be emotionless rocks. And, and that's what we're expected to be. We're never ex expected, uh, we're expected to never show uh, any tears, any vulnerability and that bleeds over into everything in life from relationships to professional life to friendships and all of that because i've ran across friends so-called friends that i tried to be vulnerable with and and share that i was not in not such a good place and i get from i get clowned for that because they believe that men should be this i see it on on my social media feed Guys talking about other guys, you know, showing emotion or whatever. You know, I, I, I'm not built like that. I'm a man or whatever. And that's all craziness because at the end of the day, whether you're male or female or howsoever you identify yourself, we're all human. And humans are emotional creatures, period. If, if a woman experiences emotions why do why would we as men think that we're not going to feel those same emotions now from person to person that may vary how you how you feel and or deal with those emotions but we're still going to feel them and because we don't talk about it that can help fuel alcoholism drug use spousal abuse child abuse because they're so angry. That anger has to go somewhere. I can speak to that firsthand. Not that I've ever uh, abused my ex-wife or abused my son. Not like that. What I mean is I would hold so much in that it would take just somebody maybe not doing something at work that I would get frustrated by. I have thrown a phone in an office before. I have thrown a clipboard into the side of the wall and it stuck like a knife out of frustration and anger before. I've yelled at people. I've, I've had just countless of moments where I've lost my temper all because I had all this shit hidden inside, keeping it inside and not talking to somebody because I was taught as a man, we don't do this sort of thing. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid and I would cry, my dad would say, suck it up or, you know, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. That sort of thing. And those are the kind of lessons we learn as little boys. And when we grow up, we hold on to that. So when there's problems, say, say you get married and there's problems in the marriage, we don't communicate. A lot of guys, instead of communicating, will go out and find someone else to, to talk to. And when I say somebody else to talk to, a lot of times that trans transgresses into something else. Mm -hmm. I'll say this, talking to my therapist and explaining some things and talking, you know, about a bunch of different stuff in my life and so on and so forth. When I was done, my therapist looked at me and said, you tried to fuck your pain away. I was like, what? 
And she broke it down, you know, point by point. And it blew my mind, Sean. It mm -hmm. blew my mind because I I never considered that ever. And it's, it's you know, I'm I'm not saying necessarily that that what my therapist or any other therapist said is uh, gospel truth, so to speak, but it just sheds light on how I proceeded to do things as a young man to help mask my pain. A couple of weeks ago, I say a couple of weeks, so it's been a couple of months ago, um, I had somebody on the show and we kind of talked about mental health as well. But before we recorded earlier in the day, my neighbors downstairs got to like an hour and a half long shouting match. It was very loud, very just everything you don't want to hear. For me, that triggered a lot of stuff for me from my childhood. And I don't know why that day it did. And see here, I, I want to stop and make another point in the point that I'm making. As I'm talking about this, there's going to be some person out there who hears me say triggered from my childhood. And they're going to be like, ah, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. No such thing. It is. It's a real thing. You do it too. You just don't realize that you're doing it. But anyway, that triggered my anxiety. So I was really anxious and, and my whole mood changed. My son could even tell my whole mood changed. So when it got time to record the episode, I got out my bottle of Fireball whiskey and I set my my uh, my glass of ice down, poured me a Fireball, and I drank through that entire episode with the sole purpose to get drunk, to to, to get my pain away. And that the day after that, I decided to put alcohol away for a while because I recognized that by me trying to use, you know, consciously use alcohol as a way to cope was unhealthy and it's dangerous, especially in my family, because my family has a long history with drug abuse and alcoholism. Mm. So it's just, I mean, you got to let it out because if you don't, it's going, you're going to blow up on the wrong person and you're going to sever relationships that you don't want to sever. You'll put up with stuff that you normally wouldn't put up with. Just all these negative attributes of holding in stuff. So yeah, man, it's guys out there. Again, no offense, ladies, guys out there, understand, find you a, find you a, a, a friend that you know is not going to judge you. I know of at least, you you included in this, I know of at least five people I could call right now and have a conversation and say, man, I'm not going to get headspace. Can I talk for a minute? And they're going to drop whatever they're doing and help me out. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I've, yeah, I've had that. I've, I've actually have had a good support system of um, some people in my family and also friends of mine that have helped me during my bittersweet time of mental health. And I appreciate that for them. Uh, I will say to this very day that I still consume alcohol, but I am not a heavy alcohol drinker. Um, back then, a long time ago, even when I turned 21, I wasn't consuming alcohol as much as I did a couple of years ago. Um, because the taste was just nasty to me, you know, and I, you know, the taste was just nasty. I, I felt like at that time it wasn't for me, but when I go to 
in present time, when I go to social engagements, events, and things of that sort, I get me a drink or two, and that would be my limit. I don't get drunk, but I drink enough to where I can still be alert and I can practice self-control. I believe in, of course, to me, and this is just the opinion of Sean Garvey, I believe that you take in whatever you consume, but in moderation. Uh, I don't want to be an advocate for people to go out and drink for the heck of it. Um, I, for me, it just helps me get over my social anxiety because something you said that was very key in your assessment is social anxiety, which that was a part of me as a kid. And so, so social anxiety just came to me growing up as a kid. You know, my mom, my mom is not very sociable. She never was. And I was considered more so of a shy, quiet, I, outsider type of person, somewhat like an outcast, because I really didn't speak a whole lot. I didn't talk a lot. I was sometimes funny at times when there was a need to be in the classroom, but for most of the time during that particular period in my life, I was quiet. I was shy. I was considered an outcast. And part of that social anxiety um, came because my mother was never, like I said, she was never sociable. So some of her uh, was somewhat like a DNA in me. Um, Part of what she is is part of who I was back then. And then the other thing, too, was I just didn't want to be social with everybody that I felt could be a threat to me. You Mm -hmm. know, I come from a world, I come from a community where fights would happen uh, every week or so, or somebody would test you just to see if you're going to put up a fight or not. And they can smell weakness from around the corner. And I didn't want to be that type of person to get picked on or whatever. I was very sensitive back then at that time to where I was ready to fight somebody if they said something wrong towards me, if they made a joke about me, or if they were teasing me and things of that sort. I was ready to fight. I couldn't take a joke. I was very sensitive. And that's where that social anxiety came from. But I had to, of course work on that as years and years progress as I got older because like I said you evolve and you change and you become a different version of yourself than you was 20 30 years ago I'm 38 so some things in my past life because I have been in fights before and I thought that being less sociable would prevent me from getting into fights or getting into circumstances that became violent but it, it didn't help. You know, you still get tested. You still get picked on in grade school. And, and it's tested me to the point where I would get very upset, angry, mad at that person for saying this, for saying that. And it, it tested my patience. And I had to do what I had to do back then. And Absolutely. so I've, I've, I've learned now at 38, I'm more calmer than I was ever before because I don't let a whole lot of things get to me. At the end of the day, we're all human beings and we can continue to keep saying that we're not perfect. We're not perfect. And I don't think we will ever be perfect. Uh, I just know that things are mental, just like 
the name of my show, The Mental Space. Things are mental because before I could even react physically to somebody that may have said something very offensive or before I could even react from an emotional place, I have to use critical thinking and use my mental state and be like, you know what, let me kind of, because I'm a forward thinker, by the way, let me kind of think this through and try to figure out why this person is acting the way that this person is acting and also thinking about what the consequences could be or would be if I reacted from a place where now violence is into place. Um, So I'm always thinking critically and I'm always thinking from the side of, okay, this person is going through something, going back to mental health. This person is going through something. Um, I don't know why he's coming at me the way that he's coming at me, but I know that he's taking his anger out on me because somebody made him upset or somebody did something to him that caused him to act that way or I probably remind him of somebody from in the past that done something to him I don't know Uh, but I know that I am going to more than likely respond in the form of love than hate because you're not going to win Ron you're not going to win if you react from an emotional place by being physical or by taking your own anger out on that person because that person is having a bad day or that person is going through whatever they're going through, what have you. Um, you know. Let me say something real quick. This this sounds yeah. so cliche, but you're right. You you don't win because even if you win, you lose. Mm-hmm. Um, either you you wind up in jail um you you hurt somebody to the point where if you're if you're if you are a sensitive person even though you feel you were defending yourself you feel bad for hurting somebody so you're right yeah you don't win and at the end of the day it doesn't solve anything that you were trying to solve from the get-go no it it doesn't it doesn't solve anything you know just like you spoke about the school shooting just a few moments ago and i was actually going to wait until this coming monday on the mental space to talk about it in my eight to ten minute monologue going into the show um taking taking it beyond therapy it's a lot of finger pointing going on and i feel like we have to point the finger at ourselves for the recent shootings that has happened over the past few days um taking it beyond therapy we living in a world where i i feel like we're in this whole second childhood phase in our life and what i mean by the second childhood phase meaning that think back to when you was a kid ron and so you would whine and complain and rant because your mom or daddy didn't give you the things that they wanted to give you um or 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 the other side of the coin is you've been spoiled you've been spoiled from the time you was a baby all the way to you turned 13 14 whatever age your parents stopped spoiling you but they didn't really teach you the tools to go out here and survive on your own as an individual as a human being as a man 
I just got through before we did the show, Ron. I just got through watching the documentary of XXX. I I can't pronounce his other name, but you know who I'm talking about, the rapper uh, XXX. He's kind of like a, another version of who is it? Existentia X. Now I can't say it. Right. You see, yeah, he's like he's like another version of Takashi Six Nine. Um, but they did a documentary on his life prior to his death. And without going into too much detail about it, I look at the mom and I feel like, you know, like you said, this is a show where we don't hold anything back. Right, Ron? Absolutely. I, 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 I can tell by looking at that young kid and seeing what all he went through and the things that he has done, I could tell that he definitely needed a whole lot of therapy. And I have to, to be honest with you, I have to blame the mom. I, I have to blame the mom only because, um, because of the choices that she made before having birth, before bringing into this particular young seed into the world and not preparing him for what could come as a young minority in this jungle called America or the world or what have you. And so if you bringing a child into the world, Juan, I know you can relate because you're a dad yourself. When you bring a child into the world, you have to prepare your child for what could come. And if you're not equipped and ready to uh, prepare your child for what could come in the world, your child is going to um, be in so many bad situations that he probably is not going to get himself out of those situations because he just wasn't taught. You know, and that's the same thing that goes for daughters as well, too. But if you know your child is going through something, it's no time to be saying like, oh, I got his back. I got his back. I got his back. But you got to get your child into some type of mental health institution. You got to get your child into some type of help uh, or what have you to protect them as much again. Uh Let me play devil's advocate for just a second, because I'm, I'm I'm keen on what you're listening or what you're listening to i'm keen on what you're saying uh something i had to to realize through my own struggles though was i love my parents to death but both of them contributed a lot to what's going on with me and i was never i wasn't abused um but they definitely contributed to a lot of what i've gone through in my life so with that being said and and by the way, for those of you listening, I'm not blaming my mom and dad. We have great relationships. I'm saying you'll understand where I'm going with this when I make the point uh, of playing devil's advocate here. What if the mom is doing what she thinks is right? Now, we can step back and we're, we have the, the wherewithal to be on the outside looking in, but we don't have, have the ability to see what's going on in her mind or his mind, or whatever, a parent's mind, to know why they make the decisions they make. Perhaps she grew, grew up in a dysfunctional home, so she didn't know how to be a mom. Um, 
and, and, and I'm not letting anybody off the hook, but I, I firmly believe environment absolutely helps shape how you, you turn out. Um, you and I both know someone who does social work and hearing some of the environments that some of these children are living in, it's, it's not hard to tell why certain things are going on. And ultimately, are the parents accountable? Well, yeah, absolutely they are. But let's take, let's go a step further and look at the parent. Like, what did you grow up with? Because people, when I bring this up, people look at me as if I'm giving someone a cop out or I'm furthering the, the old adage as, oh, blame mom and dad. No, it's not that at all. So coming back to my mom and dad, for a long time, when I got out, uh, moved, when I moved out of my father's house, I moved into the house um, with the young lady that would become my wife uh, a few years later. And for a long time, I was very angry with my dad. Me and my dad had a very rocky relationship for several years because I was mad at him because I felt like he didn't prepare me speaking specifically to what you said. He, he didn't prepare me to be a man. He didn't prepare me to be a father. He didn't prepare me uh, for fixing things around the house. My dad was a mechanic for all his life. If you ask me to go do anything on my car, bare, I know the bare minimums to do. Um, so I say that to say this, years later, talking to my dad, talking to my mom, and realizing some of the things they went through, my grandfather on my dad's side, great man, great father, in terms of providing, protecting, loving, but he was never affectionate. He very rarely told my my dad and my uncles that he loved them because they were boys. You didn't just... In that time, you didn't tell boys, you didn't you didn't show them that sort of affection as a father. And that had that had an impact on how my dad raised me because my dad wasn't very affectionate himself. So I felt like kind of not that I wasn't loved, but that he didn't want to do things with me, that he didn't want to hang out with me, that he didn't want to take me to do this, that, or the third. My mom with all due respect to my late grandparents, uh, because my, my mom's dad and I had a phenomenal relationship as a grandson, grandfather. Um, in fact, when he passed away, um, it, it shook my whole world because the one and only person that I felt got me was gone. But she grew up in a dis very dysfunctional household. Uh, my grandfather at the time was a raging alcoholic. Um, my my mom got pregnant as a senior in high school back in, what, 1960-something. I don't remember what year, um, 68 or something like that. But um, And was put in a situation by her father that, that caused some rifts within our family. And... So I'm, I'm going on a long-winded thing here to say while, while there is blame to be placed on the mom's shoulders for that, I'm with you there, but there's, that's also worthy of looking at 
why is she handling things this way? Um, one last thing, and then I'll, I'll give you the time you deserve to, to retort to this. Um, there's someone that I went to school with who recently um, was just released from prison, did 20 years for armed robbery. And from what I know of, of this individual, grew up running drugs. Um, I, b- I believe, if I'm not getting my stories completed here, grew up running drugs for his mom. His mom was a so-called hustler. So he grew up around that. That's what he knew. And that's not to say, I know there's a lot of people out there that's going to say, well, he could have made his own choices. Yes, he could have. But if you raise a child to look at the sky and tell that child every day that sky is red, when that child becomes an adult, they're going to argue with other adults that the sky is red. So do you think that while there is some blame to be be placed on the mom, as, as you said, do you think it's it's we need to take as a society, take a broader look at what we're doing to children while they're younger that we may not even realize that we're doing? Mm-hmm. Are you there, Sean? Ladies and gentlemen, we apologize for the technical difficulties. I told y'all, I only give you quality product on this show. But uh, Mr. Garvey is back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry about that, everybody. Um, welcome back, Sean. Welcome back. This is this is part two. <laughs> yes, yes. Hey, I've had to do that before. No problem, man. In a perfect world, this wouldn't happen. Another thing about my show, Sean, as of right now, I don't edit my shows. Um Two reasons for that. One is I'm still learning how to do that, and I'm not going to do it until I know how to do that. Uh, Or at least I'm not going to present a show uh, until I learn properly how to do that. Two, it's just rugged and raw, and I want it to be real, and that's real life. Um, Yeah. So, um, but did you hear what I was was saying before you? uh, Okay. Yeah, and I wanted to retort. To yeah, your there's... assessment. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so last year during my therapy session, because like I said, I spoke to three therapists. The last therapy session that I went to, I went with my mother. And I insisted on my mother to come with me. And I just laid it all out on the table with my mm-hmm. mother when we went to go see um, the third therapist that I went to go see. And I asked my mom things that go back to childhood. And I felt like she needed to be there because during my childhood years, I felt like my mother didn't listen to me. And she didn't see where I was coming from, especially as a young African-American male. Um, I was going through a lot. She was going through a lot. And, you know, being a child at that time, it was only so much that I could do for my mother. You see, I come from a single parent household. Mm-hmm. And and so for my mother to come with me to therapy was breathtaking. It was refreshing. She could have said no. But I felt like at that time when me and my mother went to go see my therapist, I laid everything out on the table as if I was blaming my mother 
for the things that I didn't achieve or wanted to know the things of why we had that part of our relationship where we were at odds with each other. Because there was a point in time where my mom and I were at odds at each other, whether it was not being able to be freely or independent and why my mother was always sheltering me and um, why my mother was always so overprotective of me and why my mother didn't really like listen to what I was trying to tell her. Um, and so my mother, she was listening and she understood what she, what, where I was coming from. And I had to ask myself the question, Ron, after we left from the therapy session, if my mother did not have me, if my mother did not birth me, would my mother have been in a different type of situation than she was in raising me for 18 years, you know, and would mm -hmm. she have, would, she, would my mother have been at this therapy session like she did? Because I'm going to tell you something. It was easy for me to get my mother into the therapy session with me, but it wasn't easy to get my dad. My dad and I didn't have a really close relationship with each other. Have I seen him a few times? Absolutely. I've seen him a few times. I Last time I seen my dad up close and personal was almost 10 years ago. Okay. And, yeah. And so... In my mind, I'm thinking to myself, well, mom and dad, you all brought me into this world. Y'all didn't have to mate. <laughs> y'all didn't have to do what y'all do to bring me into this world, but y'all brought me into this world and I had to, and I went through so many things to where my mom and dad didn't prepare me for the real world. And I did say that in therapy. I felt that my mom and dad did not prepare me for the real world. Going back to what I said about the young guy XXX, and keep in mind the mother from that documentary, she had him when she was 17 or 19 years young. Um, my mother was in her 20s when she had me. So there's a big age gap difference when it comes to that. But um, I don't want to be the one to put myself in the position and put all the blame on the parents i do believe that when you get to a certain age 18 19 and 20 no matter what environment or household you was raised or where you come from you have your own mind now you old enough to make your own decisions you are pretty much an a adult um you know but at the same time my cousin and i and i know you and my cousin you all speak periodically and in most of our conversations that we have, we have had, we always say that it starts at home. We okay. always say that. We always say that it starts at home. So going back to the mass shootings that I said earlier, uh, and I didn't mean to jump from the mass shootings to triple X, but the mass shootings, I think to myself, I'm like, what kind of childhood did this child have? What what happened in the household that caused that 18-year-old, because from my understanding, both of the uh, 
guys that went in and, and shot all those innocent people, innocent lives, they were of teenage age. They were in their 18s, I believe. One was 18. I think the other one was 18 as well. So what caused them to do what they did? Like, what kind of household were they brought up in? Um, I think, too, that as a society that we're living in right now, um, there is somewhat a stigma that makes it okay to have babies at an early age. No, no matter what your background is or whatever, like it's okay to have babies and then let the chips fall as they may later on in life. Uh, I mean, I know that's a deeper conversation for for the next podcast episode, but you got to also think about this too. You know, in other parts of the world, people do things differently than what we do here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And this is why I say that mental, going back to mental health, because I'm, I want to be able to bring it back full circle, Ron, especially to your listening audience. We, we, mental health is so important in, in our discussions and our conversations and stuff like that. But along with mental health, got to be some form of accountability that we got to have. And we also got to be able to break the cycle as we continue to have these discussions and conversations on mental health. Because Absolutely. right now, because right now we're going into a 360 degree angle of doing the same thing over and over and over again. Insanity. Doing the same yep. thing over again, expecting a different result, but we keep getting the same result. And, you know, to play devil's advocate as well, too, I was speaking to a friend of mine and he said, you know, we keep tossing that word mental health a lot every single day, every five minutes and stuff like that. Are the people doing the things that they really doing because of mental health? Like, is it become to where now because this person did this, because this person did that, this person committed a violent crime are they going to also say it was because of mental health maybe so that that may be the case they may bring that up in court oh he was having mental health issues or what have you but there's going to have to come a time where we have to ask ourselves when are we going to break the generational curse when are we going to break the cycle of um not having kids at a very early age and being able to uh, teach teach young people being the the pillars of the community being the elders of the community community like you and I are Ron uh, being able to teach and and provide guidance and wisdom and knowledge to younger people because guess what we we're not going to be on this earth forever uh, we may be able to uh, reincarnate ourselves into somebody else because now I'm starting to learn more about this reincarnation thing than ever before. But mm-hmm. we're going to be solely dependent on the newer generation that is coming yes. behind us. And imagine what the world and what life would be like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, even 50 years from now. Imagine what, what the world is going to be. And I applaud the um, some of the newer generations that are going out there and doing great things, and I feel like those need to be highlighted more than 
the ones that are causing uh, tragedies, bad, and destruction. But at the same time, there's still got to be some form of of accountability. I got to hold myself accountable for yeah. the choices that I make and for the decisions I make, whether I'm a, uh, whether I'm a parent or not. And I've said this in many conversations. If I had went out and got a baby, just like my dad did, if I went out and got a woman pregnant and things didn't work out or what have you, or or even if things did work out and I had a child or two, I would not be doing radio. I would not be doing radio. I would not be doing all the amazing things that I'm doing and stuff. I would be doing like I wouldn't even be doing this podcast with you, Ron. I'd probably be working my ass off, working uh, eighty hours a week to take care of my family. Because you know it's it's very expensive these days to raise a family. It's very expensive in this in, yeah in this inflation era that we're living in, and you know in, in parts in 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 some instances, some people that are in a position that may not be doing well financially or may not be um, in a very mental, in a proper mental state, they're going to do whatever they're going to do out there to survive. And right. so if, if people are having these conversations and, you know, from celebrities and just everyday people or even the families that were affected by the violence that occurred in New York and in Texas, and they keep asking the question, why, 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 you know, are we going to keep asking that when, if or when the next mass shooting happened? And God forbid there won't be any more mass shootings. But there's so many problems out here that could easily be solved, but it all goes back to the foundation. It goes yes. back to the household. It goes back to the parents. It goes back to the choices and the decisions that we make. Every day I get in my car, and the first thing I do, Ron, is I put on my seatbelt. Because <laughs> I could potentially... It's not because I, I, I might get pulled over by a police officer. It's because of my own safety. It's because... Sure. You, know, you know what I mean? It's, it's because... I want to be able to try to live or attempt to live to be a blessing to somebody else the next day. Yeah. And, and I want to make something clear to the listeners. Um, I agree with Sean a hundred percent that I'll use myself as the example uh, based upon what I said earlier. I am 100% accountable for the decisions and actions that I that I make or take. And I understand that. What I want other people to understand, and that's not directed at you, Sean. I'm just talking to the audience right now. What I want people to understand is there are reasons behind the decisions I made. I'm still accountable. And I'm not trying to make excuses. Or that's how I do things. I, I can't speak for anything else, anyone else. Um, the reason I made such and such decision was because I thought that was the right decision to make or um, it was an impulse decision or whatever. I wasn't talk like talk about sex, for instance. Uh, my, you, I can tell you word for word exactly what my education at home of sex was. I was out one night speaking with a young lady and my dad, my dad to call me home. My dad has the ability to whistle 
you don't want to be in the room when he whistles because it's so loud. So that would be my cue to come home when I was a kid. And it continued on when I was a teenager. So I was sitting with a young lady talking to her and I heard my dad whistle. I just didn't want to leave the side of this young lady. You know, you got to understand, I was 15, 16 years old, hormones going crazy, blah, blah, blah. So the next day when I come home, my dad got on me about not coming home and did I not hear him and so on and so forth. The next day, my dad sat me down at the dinner table. And I can't tell you what the opening conversation was, but the sex talk conversation was, you know, it's more than jumping on and jumping off, right? I was like, yeah. Okay, just want to make sure. Mm. That was it. That was the total of my sex education at home. Right. I learned more, and this is somewhat embarrassing. I learned more from reading a medical um, um, book, textbook, that I can't even remember. My mom and dad had it, but it was on some bookshelf. I don't know where they got it from. But I learned more from that textbook about sex than I did anything that my parents told me. That, along with, admittedly, a lot of pornography when I was a teenager and, and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. We were, yeah, we all been there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, like I said, no punches pulled here. And something else I want to touch on that you said. Um, I definitely think for some people in society, mental health has become trendy to them. Mm. And... I, I hate is a strong word, and I said on social media today, I can't understand hate. So maybe I shouldn't use that word because then I would become a, uh, a contradiction of myself. But I strongly dislike <laughs> those people who have made mental health trendy. It's not fucking trendy, folks. I suffered. I wanted to die. I didn't want to live. I had no will to live. Everything I did, there were mornings I would lay in bed and it feel, felt like a thousand pound weight was on me and I physically could not get out of bed. That's not a trend, people. That's not a trend and it's not a way anyone should have to live. So that that definitely gets me fired up. Um, but I think you're 100% you're right and your cousin and I talk about things and, and we do say that as well. That it starts at home. I started talking to my son about sex when he was nine, eight or nine, somewhere around there. Now, it was age-appropriate stuff and disclaimer for age-appropriate. Age-appropriate is whatever a parent decides is age-appropriate for their child. I can't determine that. But I started talking to my son about stuff I thought was age-appropriate for eight or nine years old. And, of course, as he got older the talks got more in-depth and, and gave a little bit more information. And here's something that, that I think we, we live, despite what everybody thinks, we live in a very puritanical society still. The, the illusion that you shouldn't have sex before marriage is just that. It's an illusion. Um, because most of the people saying that had a lot of sex before marriage. And so, we, we, like you said, we've got to arm our children with information. And that's from sex to, to school to life in general. And I told my son straight up, 
I said, you're going to have people tell you sex is not an adult thing. It should only happen between a man and a woman that love each other and blah, blah, blah. I told my son, that's not the truth. <laughs> that's not reality. Mm. Reality is at some point your hormones are going to kick in and all of a sudden you're going to find someone attractive and it's going to kickstart some things in your body. I told him sex was fun. Sex was great. Sex felt awesome. But there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it that I didn't understand at a young age. I implored him to always use protection for not just the reasons of pregnancy, but protection against diseases. And I gave him information on that. Information on that the, the if, if I'm not mistaken, the AIDS or HIV virus is small enough to fit through the breather holes of condoms. Because a lot of people don't know that condoms have very, very, very small holes in them that will allow for um, the condom not to get enough heat or friction in it so it doesn't break during sex. And that virus is small enough to fit through there. Now, there's a very minuscule chance that you'll catch HIV or AIDS that way but it's still there. I explained to my son all these things, all the risk, everything, but I laid it out for him so that when he found himself, if he found himself in that moment of having to make a decision, he had at least the knowledge that I have, I have tried to impart on him to help him make that decision. Now, I'm a, I'm a red-blooded man, and I understand that you know, sometimes even though we have the knowledge, we don't use it. We just act on impulse. I know that was a possibility, too. But it goes back to what you said. It, it starts at home and we've got to have these conversations at home. So I don't want listeners to misunderstand me. I'm not giving a person who the, the person that committed that, that shooting in Buffalo. He's still alive. I'm, I'm not giving him an out. He's holy and, and 100% um, held accountable for those actions he made. I'm not giving him a scapegoat. There's, uh, I, I think that there may have been, he may have come up in a very good home, very friendly home, very loving home, but he may have been ignored. And his education from a lot of things came from the internet. That's another thing. I love the internet. It's great, but it can also send some people to some very bad places. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so perhaps he was ignored. And, and again, I have no sympathy for the dude. I hope he gets the death penalty first go round. And I wish they could give him the same death that he gave those people. So he has to suffer. But, and I know that sounds archaic and barbaric to some people, but that's just how I feel. He right. walked into a grocery store and gunned down people who were just trying to buy groceries, man. Mm -hmm. And he did it because he wanted, he, he, he was upset that white people were becoming the minority. Sean, you, you can listen to this, but it's not, it's not geared towards you. To all my white listeners, here's a little something for you. Look to your left and right. Make sure nobody's beside you that gets crazy when I say what I'm about to say. We are the minority. Worldwide, we are the minority. 
personally, I hate the term minority majority anyway, because it gives the impression of better or worse. But that's why I killed those people. Those people had nothing to do with that. So, yes, jumping, drawing it back to mental health, um, I definitely think he's accountable. And I definitely think that had depending on how his parents may have raised him and the decisions uh, just as you said the decisions they made could have influenced his decision have you ever seen the movie um american history x yes i have okay. yeah that per- uh the movie came out in 98 uh, yep yes perfect example of what you and i are talking about is that in that movie at the dinner scene where ed norton is sitting at the dinner table talking about this teacher that is teaching him all these things and his dad is telling him um, he's, he's speaking badly about affirmative action and he's talking all these things that's pseudo racist. And the reason I say pseudo racist is because he doesn't come right out and say how he feels. He's doing it thinly veiled racism. And that greatly influenced the character that Edward Norton was playing and how he went forward and joining the Nazi party or what are the, the skinheads or whatever. Right. So that's a perfect example of, you know, maybe he's getting that home. I will be very honest and transparent with you. I heard some very racist things growing up. Some from my parents, some from other family members. Um, fortunately, I didn't take on that same mentality. I'm very thankful that I didn't take on that same mentality. Now, I do want to say that my mom and dad aren't racist. But they had their their prejudices at that time. My dad, through me talking to him and through me breaking down some things for him, and for lack of a better way to say it, educating him, uh, he's he's changed a lot. And my dad told me that, and it felt great because I helped my dad understand things that he didn't understand. So yes, a hundred percent agreed. I rambled on for however long there. No, no, it's but, good. I'm, no, I'm, I'm glad you. No, I'm glad you said that. Um, yeah. Once again, I did see the movie, and it doesn't even have to be from a family member. A person mm-hmm. can be brainwashed or radicalized by somebody that's in their social circle, Absolutely. or if they decide to join into an organization that they first don't know much about, but then once they keep going to the meetings and stuff like that, they end up becoming radicalized. And now you get the outcome that you saw in Buffalo and perhaps Mm -hmm. even in Texas. You know, there's another movie we can also uh, use as an example, Higher Learning. Yes, Uh, absolutely. That part, you know, Michael Rappaport, he never... I guess in our minds, going back and looking at that movie, we all thought that he wasn't racist at first. He wasn't racist at first or didn't come off as racist until he joined the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, a a young person who is in their teenage years, and it's so perfect you brought that up because, of course, the people that did what they did in those mass shootings over the past few days, they were of young age. They were they, when you're 18 and 19, your mind hasn't really made up all the way for you to think for yourself. Um, and so 
um, you can easily be mentally influenced and brainwashed by anybody. It doesn't have to necessarily be your parents. And that's where that's the part of the conversation that I definitely agree with you, because nowadays you don't need your parents. You don't need your social circle to be brainwashed and radicalized. All you just need is social media. Because social media these days, all these different platforms, or just the internet in general, Ron, because mm-hmm. it's, it's not just social media, but it's also websites. You have conservative websites, just like you have liberal websites. You have radical websites and far-right websites that at times spew hate and spew negativity and talk about a certain type of group on their online platform to easily get somebody radicalized and brainwashed to join their organization or take heed in the information that they are getting from these different platforms that could lead to violence. So, you know, when we talk about blame, like we did earlier, uh, I also put the finger, put the, the blame on social media as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been questions like, should we police social media? Um, of course, the argument is always going to be, well, that's a part of our First Amendment, freedom of speech. And yeah, everybody has a right to their own opinion, their own perspective, no matter if it's good, bad, right, or wrong, or indifferent. But at the same time, we do know that words hurt. And words can bring... Uh, somebody to the point where they want to do some type of um, harm to other people. And that's why I said earlier about myself, putting myself back into the equation of the conversation, I always got to use critical thinking and I always got to think to myself, how could I handle this thing differently before it escalates to something that both of us don't want? Um, You know, I know there's been times, even me and you, you know, somebody that they have an opinion or somebody that says something that we find offensive or whatever, we want to go up there and smack them in the mouth or slap them in the head. That's a form of violence. You know, nowadays, nowadays, if you go and smack somebody. And, you know, and I'm not going to even use the Chris Rock and Will Smith scenario. But I mean, if you go, if you go and even smack somebody in the <laughs> face or whatever, they may retaliate and want to shoot you. You know yes. that, that you know what I mean? Because that that's I've seen things happen like that, or at least heard about things like that, where uh, a kid went up and smacked somebody in the face or whatever, or beat them down not using no type of weapon or gun or anything, but using their fists instead. And then a day or two later, that person that went and beat down that person ended up being shot and killed in those streets. So, you know, you could throw a stone and you throw a stone at somebody and you're going to have three stones thrown back at you. Um, and, you know, nowadays, like I said, the, the technology and the social media and the platforms that we have, uh, can also be a culprit for violence too, and it's part of the issues that we have with mental health. I was talking about on my uh, on my show on a um, WLK, the mental space. I was talking about 
social media? Can it cause so much trauma? Can it cause so much anxiety and depression? And I had a licensed therapist on the show that night, and she said, absolutely, yes. Yes, social media can cause trauma, depression, anxiety uh, from people that go on these computers, that go on these smartphones and want to debate and spew hate and opinions out there and stuff. And, you know, when you put all this stuff out there on social media, um, it's, it's all an algorithm machine. So the algorithm machine puts out whatever you are typing in real time and you're going to get a lot of eyeballs to come and argue with you and debate with you to where it could lead to violence and it Mm -hmm. could lead to what we saw over the past few days with the shooters and stuff like that. I mean, we don't know for sure. Well, we do. What we do know for sure, Ron, is that the young guy that did do the mass shooting in Texas, he was putting questionable stuff out there on social media as an attempt to want to go do harm to somebody and somebody replied are you going to go shoot up a school or something and the guy replied no but no don't ask me no dumb questions you'll see and what ended up happening (laughs) what ended up happening a few days ago young kids and adults get shot and killed so along with social media once again accountability and mental health those two things we got to hold ourselves accountable for the outcome that has happened. If we, if we don't speak up, if we don't speak up or help that person get the help that they need, we're going to see this chaos and these scenarios play out over and over and over and over again. And, and, you know, bringing it back to mental health, all that does is cause trauma it causes hurt. It causes depression. Come on. There were 19 children and two adults killed. Those are all families who are traumatized, especially the ones with small children. And I don't mean to discount the adult lives, but when you never expect to lose your child, let alone in, in, in such a barbaric way as that. So now you've thrust other families who have, who may have been thriving and were perfectly healthy and, and, and great homes. Now you've thrust them into a traumatic situation to which some of them may never bounce back. And the human mind is phenomenal. But as phenomenal as it is, it can also be dangerous. Um, one of the problems I have in, in regards to mental health is uh, my my brain doesn't produce enough serotonin. And what serotonin it does produce, all of it isn't received by my serotonin. My, I have issues with my serotonin receptors. So as my even what it does produce, my, my, my serotonin receptors aren't even getting it all. So that explains why sometimes um, I, I don't have like happy feelings or, or I don't get up about something or I feel down about something. Mm-hmm. And it took me finding that out through uh, a medical doctor and then reading behind it myself, along with some information that my doctor provided with it to really grasp an understanding about it. And to, to go back a long way in this episode, um, 
you said something earlier about parents need to listen to their children. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in a household that was, it wasn't quite as bad as children are to be seen, not to be heard. Right. But it was, it was as close to that as you could get without it actually being that. So we were, we were not given the opportunity to really express ourselves. And I know to some folks out there, that's going to sound like this new age parenting uh, type of shit, but it's not that at all. Because here's the thing, folks, if you've got stress at your job, if you've got issues at your job, if you're having trouble every day with some things as an adult, imagine a child going through those very same things, very same feelings, but about school, about people at school, about their fear of whatever. And most of the time, an adult's response is, oh, you don't know what problems are. No, they don't because they're children, but they know what their problems are right now. And if you listen to that child, you may learn some things. Give a child a voice. I'm not saying allow them to be disrespectful. Mm -hmm. There has to be order, but allow that child to explain themselves. I told my son when he was very young that he was allowed to ask me why anytime he wanted to. Like if I told him to do something, he had the opportunity to ask me why I told him to do it. There were two, there were two bullet points to that. The first one being, you go and do what I told you to do. The second one being, when you ask me why, don't do it with a mouthful of attitude. Because I wanted my son to understand the reasons behind some of the things I told him to do. Clean your room. The reason I'm telling you to clean your room is so it gets, it becomes a habit for you so that when you're older, you're a grown man, uh -huh. your room is clean. I, I didn't have that growing up. I really didn't. And, and I wasn't able to express there were things I got in trouble for that weren't my fault. But I wasn't allowed to say that wasn't me. <laughs> and it's just, folks, if you, it, there was something that happened in my childhood that only two, maybe three people in my family knew about. And I was never encouraged to, or, or given a, a safety net, so to speak, to be able to speak up and say these things. So by the time my sister, my middle sister and I are four years apart, by the time she left elementary school, and this may blow your mind, Sean, because you're, you're younger than me, this may blow your mind, but, but at the time, my sister went from seventh grade in elementary school to eighth grade in high school. There was no middle school, in, or at least in the city of Atlanta schools where we lived at the time. Um, when she transitioned over to high school, I was now walking to school by myself. Well, after this happened, I was afraid to walk to school by myself. And I distinctly remember a day at the dinner table I was scared to walk by myself. My parents kept asking me why. And I said, I don't know. I'm just afraid somebody's going to get me. Like, what do you mean? Who? What are you talking about? I don't know. I don't. And that's all I could say. I was a child. I didn't know how to express it. Right. So as a parent myself now, I understand the frustration 
that my mom and dad must have been feeling because they're trying to figure out what's going on with their child, but the child just keeps saying, I don't know. So I understand from a parent's perspective how they felt. What they didn't understand for me is how I felt in that moment. What I needed in that moment was for my parents to just simply love me and protect me. That's mm. all we needed. But I didn't know how to express that. Right. And the dad, in his frustration, you remember the old arc- arcade games you used to put a quarter in at the arcade, right? Mm-hmm. Well, back in the day, um, this was what, early, mid-80s, they, they had these tabletop games. And we had a tabletop. It looked just like the arcade game, but it was much smaller. And, it, you know, you could sit at your table and play it. It had the joysticks and everything. Well, my dad, in his frustration, took that thing and slammed it against the floor, broke it into a, middle, a million pieces because he was so frustrated and so angry because I, I don't know, kept coming out of my mouth. That was a lesson for me. He didn't intend it this way, but that was a lesson for me to keep my mouth shut. So whatever happens, whatever happens, whatever pain, whatever fear, whatever trauma happens, I'll just I'll just bury it. I don't talk about it because it's going to make my dad mad. And it reinforced the fear unintentionally. I want to be clear about that. Unintentionally reinforced the fear that I had done something wrong. Mm. And I had not at all. Um, so yeah, man, folks, you've got to talk to your children because some of the things they're going through can greatly affect them as they get older. Um, there was something that happened with me. Okay. How do I want to say, cause I kind of want to thinly veil this and not come right out and say it. Um, there was an instance where I was at, at Hooters on, on, uh, Tarot Boulevard with, a group of friends we were there watching ufc fights and we're all talking i don't know what the conversation was about but i was actively involved in this conversation we're talking uh-huh. and all of a sudden i saw something and i got very quiet to the point that almost everybody at the table asked me was i okay and of course i said yeah i'm okay i'm i'm good i'm fine just you know just quiet and i had seen someone that i hadn't seen in many years that flooded a whole bunch of shit into my brain. And I was not in a place, mental place, healthy mental place to handle that. And that's something that I'm, I'm actively addressing in my therapy now. Um, it's helped me greatly. Uh, and it all still, it, it, all could have been helped. It could have been stopped. Um, I don't blame anybody for that. It could have been stopped. But it could have been helped if I had been made to feel safe in discussing things. So, parents, if you're out there listening, please listen to your children. Please, because the things they can tell you Give them a safe space to be able to express themselves. And I I know some of you hardcore, old school parenting people aren't going to want to hear that. But but guess what? The reason, you may not like this, folks, the reason we're so fucked up 
<laughs> from a comical type point of view, the reason we're so fucked up is because we weren't given those things. Because you weren't given those things. And because those parents' parents weren't given those things. And it goes back to what you said, Sean. Break the generational curse. Break the generational cycle. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's. There's so many layers to this, and coming back to us men, it it for me and I, again, you, we can't speak for the, the the way women feel, but for men, it seems to be magnified because we're supposed to be the exact opposite by society standards, at least. We're supposed to be the exact opposite of mental health. We're supposed to be the rocks. We're supposed to protect. We're supposed to provide. And that reminds me, something uh, I wanted to bring up much earlier, but you you talked about fixing people's problems. Mm -hmm. That was a big problem for me. No pun intended, but um, I would always, because I, I love hard, whether you're my friend, family, romantic partner, whatever, I love hard. And when you hurt and when you've got something going on, I want to fix it. And what I've had to learn is I can't. I cannot fix it. I can help you get through it. I can help you solve it. I can help you fix it, but I cannot fix it. Uh Because that's something you're going through. Will Smith said at one point um, when he was talking about him and Jada going through something, Uh, He said that he was not responsible for her happiness or something to that effect. Uh And he's a lot of people jumped on him about that, but he's absolutely right. Sean, I, I can't make you happy as your, as your friend. I can't make you happy. I can do things to help you become happy. I can, I can maybe take you to a movie or, or whatever that you may enjoy to try to give you some joy, but I can't make you happy. That happiness has to come from you. Uh And once we as a society or as people within the society understand that, and if we take the mirror and put it on ourselves, my son is not responsible for my happiness. My ex-wife wasn't responsible for my happiness. I have to look into that mirror. It goes back to that self-accountability that that you were talking about. That's been one of the hardest things for me in therapy is acknowledging some of the ways I I have contributed to my own hurt, my own pain, my own problems. And, but it's helped me too, because now when I think about things, I'm more considerate. Um, I, I, I try to do things in a different way. I talked about um, using different words so that I'm not committing to a negative mindset through word. I used to think that um, the whole words have power thing was complete horseshit when I was younger. I really did. And as I got much older, you know, I saw how words have influence, but I really wasn't thinking they were that powerful. Mm-hmm. Having gone through my own thing and, and, and talked about those things with someone, with a professional, I understand just how powerful those words were. So, right. yeah, it's just... Yeah. 
Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if you had the floor to say something, man. No, no, no. It's all good. It's all good. Now, I wanted to chime in because I can definitely relate to what you just said in regards to happiness. And I did hear Will Smith say the same thing, by the way. Um, and that's what I had to learn coming out of the relationship that I was in for almost two years with my ex. Those years that I spent with her or just with the women in the past that I've been with, whether it's been on a romantic level or a serious relationship level, I had to come to terms that I couldn't make them happy, especially with my ex. I couldn't make her happy. I wake up every morning, and I told her this. I wake up every morning to figure out what can I do to make you happy. And a lot of us guys, we've had that thought process whenever we were in a relationship with somebody to be like, okay, what what can I do to make her happy, or what do I need to do to fix things to keep her? It's the and it's, like it's, to interject just a second. It's what I yeah. call the fairy tale factor. You're supposed to be the knight in shining armor, right? The knight in shining armor, exactly, exactly. And it took me a while, especially going through those adversities and those challenges that I went through. It took me a while to realize that I couldn't make her happy. The only person who can make her happy is herself. Um, and I also have to keep in mind that no woman or anybody, family member or friend, couldn't make Sean happy. I have to make myself happy each and every day. And that's what I mean by when I said earlier in part one of the podcast that I went to go see three therapists. They did all that they could do, but I also had to put the work in. Mm-hmm. And and I had to make sure that every day that I'm walking out the door with a positive mindset. I may have not gotten the job that I wanted. I may have had a woman that I met a few days ago ghosted on me, <laughs> you know, or or, or I may uh, come outside realizing that, oh, I got to work a 12-hour shift at my job or whatever. But I always got to come out the door and get in my car whenever I'm going somewhere. And I always got to have a positive mindset. And if I don't have that positive mindset, then it's back to square one. And it's I might find myself in a position that I cannot get out of because I'm not in control of my own emotions. And that's another thing, too. Nobody's not in control of your emotions except for you. Yes, um, that, that's know, definitely something have, I've learned too. Yeah, yeah, you have to be able to be in control of your own emotions. You know, the world doesn't owe me and you any type of understanding. And, um, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, we could have taken our own lives. We could have taken our own lives out a long time ago. And yeah, it would have affected a lot of people, but guess what? The world still goes on. The world still moves. It still goes around and around. And, and, you know, you, you, you provide value at the end of the day, you provide value to those that are affected by what you contributed in society um 
and you know every day because of where i'm at in my career and because of the fact that people know me for doing this and stuff they know i am an asset somewhere and that i bring value i know that if i was to end it all tomorrow ron if i said okay i'm i'm ending my life here's my last ig post here's my last facebook post I know I'm going to let a lot of people down. I know I'm going to let a lot of people down. It's going to be a very, very sad, sad, sad time. Um, But even if I take my own self out, they too have to be in control of their own emotions as well. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, even in the time that we're facing right now with so much, cannibalism and carnage that's happening from one human to another um those parents those people that are affected by violence and just everyday violence it doesn't just have to be the mass shootings but just violence that occurs every single day they know that they have to be strong and and that nobody can't make them happy they can't um make them feel how they feel you know they got to take it one day at a, at a time uh just like this one mother who i've had on my show and other shows that i've produced before um i and i still keep in contact with this mother because she lost her daughter to gun violence several years ago and she still is affected by it um, and, and, you know, I keep in contact with her just off the air just to see how she's doing and everything. But I know that I can't be the one to make her happy. I can't be the one to um, make her feel better and act as if she didn't lose her daughter or act as if nothing didn't happen yesterday or years ago. It's a process that she has to go through every single day to maintain her sanity so it's the same Mm -hmm. thing with what i'm still going through or what have you you know what happened back in 2020 was very tragic and it was very uh, a very uh sort of downfall in my life but um i have to come to the realization that no matter how many posts i put out there on facebook and how much outcry I put out there on social media and stuff. Yeah, I I will get a phone call or two from my mom and from everybody else or whatever, but it's only so much that they can do, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, we, we got to keep that in mind as we are on this mental health journey journey that we're still on. Right. And, and you know what I found out, Sean, and when everybody found out what was going on with me, because I'd reached a point <clears throat> in closing, I'll tell how my, uh, my situation came about. I called out of work one day because I was, for lack of a better way to put it, I was having a mental day. Um, I just, I couldn't deal. I couldn't cope. It was, I was emotional. I was frantic, all of that. So I, I didn't call, I called out of work that day. And I told my boss that I was sick, um, which I was. And I went to work the next day. And as I'm sitting there working, my mind, I can't concentrate on anything. Um, I'm, I'm just not there. 
I, I wasn't there at all. I was physically there, but mentally I was a million miles away. So I sent a, I sent a direct message to my manager and asked her when she had a free moment, could I speak to her in one of the conference rooms? And we went in there. I told her why I called out that, that day before. And um told her I was afraid of letting somebody know that because I, I didn't know how people would feel, but this is how I'm feeling. So I have to be honest about it. I said, can I please have just a couple of days to clear my head? And the lifeline she threw me, Sean, for this reason, I am forever indebted to this individual. She said, sure, you can have a couple of days, but I don't feel comfortable saying that's all you need she saw how far how far i was out in those waters and that i was struggling so we start the process first of all she opened up to me very personal with me talking about some of the things that she had been through herself um and and then started talking to me about the things that were uh, available the resources that were available available to me through my health insurance through my job that I could I could take advantage of and use to to get the help I needed and another manager came in um, and it just it was they saved me basically um, because I was struggling at that point and what I found out was. I was so afraid of letting people know how bad I was struggling or what I was going through or any of that because I was afraid that I would be letting people down, that people would think I was making excuses or whatever. What I found was a lot of people, a lot of people ran to my side to help me. There was no judgment. There was no, you know, are oh, you just being lazy? You're just making excuses. People ran to my side to help me. And that kind of started the, the cogs turning in my brain. Okay, maybe, maybe this ain't all what I thought it was in terms of letting people know what I'm going through. And I've been much more vocal since then. I have no problem letting people know about my struggles with depression and anxiety. And just as you said, two years later, I still struggle sometimes. I had a moment the other day at work. I got up, walked out, walked outside, sat down on some steps outside and just, just sat there and had my moment. Took about 15 minutes and I went back upstairs. Once I had that moment, I felt fine. But I needed to get out of that environment and, and just sit and be still. And I felt fine. I just... That's the thing I think a lot of people don't understand is that this will be a lifelong struggle from, for us, the people that are going through, through mental health issues, but it doesn't have to be as bad as it got in our worst moments, if that, if that makes any sense to anybody. I'm going to deal with depression, anxiety, PTSD, and all those things from now to the day I check out of here. The difference is I'm building the, the, the foundation that I need to cope with those things better. So when I'm having a mental day, I have the, the, the resources and the mechanisms, the coping mechanisms at my ready 
to defend myself against that depression. So whereas before it took me two, three days to, to get things turned around and, and get out of that funk, now it may only take me 15, 20, 30 minutes because I now have the understanding of what's going on with me. So I, because I know the enemy, so to speak, I know how to fight. And one last thing I want to say before I turn it over to Sean to, to give his final piece. Folks, if you or anybody in your family is suffering in silence, if, if they haven't uh, reached out or, or whatever, don't give up on those people. And I'm trying not to get emotional right now. I really am. Um, don't give up on those people. Because they may be going through going through things that even they don't understand. I didn't understand for for forty some odd years what I was going through. Don't give up on those people, because you may very well be the spark or the lifeline that they need in their lives. The spark to light the path they need to follow, and the lifeline they need to hold on to to go to that path. So don't give up on people. And if you see somebody struggling and needing help reach out to them. And for those of you who may be struggling, don't be afraid to reach out to people. If, you, if you're fortunate enough to work a job that, that provides you with mental health services, take advantage of them. That's what they're there for. Mental health is not a weakness. As a matter of fact, I don't know how you, you feel, Sean. I'm sure you'll agree with me. But as a matter of fact, it's not a weakness. We're some of the strongest people that exist on this earth because we deal with shit that don't nobody else deal with. So don't feel like you're being weak by asking for help. We all need help at some point in our lives. It may be major. It may be minor. doesn't matter. We all need help. Yeah. So reach out, find some resources to help you. And if I could ever be of any help and any assistance, feel free to reach out to me. I'm on social media, Facebook, uh, TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, all of that. I'm on there. Reach out to me. You can DM me. You don't have to be public. You can reach me at email, wwmtent at gmail.com. You don't have to suffer in silence. And with that, Sean, I'm going to turn it over to you to give your final thoughts before I close out the show. Yeah, sure. So I want to take a moment, first and foremost, to say thank you, Ron Glaze, or Ron G., uh, for allowing me to be on your platform to have this conversation that's full of enlightenment, uh, learning. I'm always learning new things about you, and I'm just glad that we as individual and as mental health advocates that we can continue on with the dialogue and the conversation that can help other people that are dealing with the same exact things that we are going through or whatever struggle they are going through within themselves. But I want to also take a moment too, Ron, to give your listeners some information, some resources, since you did use the term resources in your assessment, um, to give your listeners some information on where they can go to for help. Uh, I'm going to give your listeners a couple of telephone numbers uh, for them to call um, after this broadcast. Now, um, there is an organization called the National Alliance on Mental Illness Helpline. Uh, also, they go by NAMI, uh, N-A-M-I. 
And that telephone number, if you have a pen and paper ready, please take this number down uh, because you're definitely going to need it to uh, for yourself or to pass on to somebody that you know who is experiencing some form of mental illness. Uh, that telephone number is 1-800-950-6264. I will repeat, 1-800-950-6264. Six two six four. Now, for all my texters out there, if you need to text, text the letters N A M I to seven four one dash seven four one. That's N A M I to seven four one dash seven four one. Now, there is another telephone number. Uh, if you or someone you know that is out there thinking or attempting to commit suicide or looking to take their own lives, um, there's a telephone number to call 24-7, and that is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And their telephone number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Five, five. And you can also text this organization, Strength, to the crisis text line, which is the same one that I just gave your listening audience a few moments ago. That's 741-741. Text the word Strength to the crisis text line at 741-741, or they can simply go to the website suicidepreventionlifeline.org that's suicidepreventionlifeline.org and there is another telephone number I'm going to make this quick because I know we're running out of time Um, for all of my people that are living in the state of Georgia um, you can contact GCAL that stands for Crisis Active Line GCAL and their telephone number is 1-800-715-4225 that's 1-800- 715-4225. That's for the residents living in the state of Georgia. So if you or someone you know facing some form of crisis and they need to speak to somebody immediately, that's the telephone number. 1-800-715-4225. Georgia Crisis Active Line. Or I think it's Access Line if I'm not mistaken. But it's GCAL. Um, and then there is one other number. And I definitely want to give this number out there, Ron, to the parents out there. It's called the National Parent Helpline. Now, you may have a son or daughter who is angry, maybe going through some bipolar um, problems or issues or whatever the case may be. Still give them a call at 1-855-427-2736. That's the National Parent Helpline. 1-855-427-2736. So you have multiple resources to choose from or to pass all of this information on to other people. I don't want us to um, do a disservice to do a part one and part two of this podcast without giving your listeners vital information for them to use and to pass on to other people because mental health is, is still a problem in today's society mental health illness i want to make sure that i add illness and and, and, an issue to that because um, all of us have some form of mental health but it's all about maintaining and managing 
your mental health. Mental health is not a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when you develop all these different types of emotions and you are not only taking them out on yourself, but you're also taking it out on other people, whether it's by um, being aggressive, yelling, or taking it to that level of of it becoming violent. So I want your listeners to uh, use these resources that I just put out there and make sure that you spread the message and spread the information to people that you know who are suffering in silence or suffering publicly and need access to um, licensed professional counselors that are standing by 24-7. But in closing, um, I, I, I just want to be a vessel, Ron, and I know you're a vessel as well, too, to just be a vessel in helping other people. It's easy to complain. It's easy to go on social media and rant, and it's even easy to go pick a gun, uh, to go pick out a gun and to go get a gun. It's much easier nowadays, especially in the state of Georgia, with this open and carry law that just passed, and anybody can go get a gun. Easy. Um, But what is hard is doing the work, and you have to do the work to become better and to be a vessel in your community. And I had to do the work myself um, from 2020 to all the way up to now. I mean, of course, I'm still doing the work, um, but you have to do the work to make yourself better and to be a vessel in your community. Um, and I appreciate this time so much. And by the way, just a side note, the reason, one of the reasons why I, I had to bring up XXX in the conversation earlier is because um, he was bipolar. So it was reported that he was bipolar um, and, and that's part of mental health um, as well. So I, I want your listeners to keep that in mind too. But in the meantime, between time, Um, People can follow me at Sean Garvey ATL on Twitter, Instagram, and it's spelled S-E-A-N-G-A-R-V-E-Y ATL, Twitter, Instagram. I got multiple Instagram pages just to let you all know, uh, but that's where you can find me. Um, Also, SeanGarveyOnline.com. That's the website, and it has all the information up there including links to check out the mental space and the beat break morning show and to also view other projects and stuff that i've been doing over the past couple of years but definitely check me out on the mental space monday nights at 7 p.m to 9 p.m on news and talk 1380 w-a-l-k w-a-l-k.com uh the beat break morning show like i said we're syndicated everywhere uh, just type in the Beat Break Morning Show and it will take you to um, available markets in which we are syndicated on. And um, at Beat Break Radio on social media, like I said, we're everywhere. Just Google radio personality Sean Garvey and uh, you can find me there. I'm also on Facebook at Sean Garvey. Yeah, everybody, be sure to uh, give Sean a follow. Um, a talented, talented brother. Um, excellent person. Uh, so, yeah, give him a follow. He's doing great things, um, not just in the entertainment sector, but as you heard, doing great things with the, the show uh, Mental Space and with his community activism. Um, 
I can speak to that personally, um, as he and I have been shoulder to shoulder in the community doing things. And I just want to thank you, Sean, um, for providing that information and resources to the listeners. I sincerely appreciate that uh, because I'll be honest, I just, I failed to prepare for that. Um, so uh, thank you for, for being on, on point with that. Oh, you and, know, you know, I got you. You know, I got you. You know, <laughs> this is this is Radio Sean. So, you know, we always right, come right. prepared. <laughs> we always oh, yeah, come yeah, prepared me, when we talk to our listeners and all. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me tell y'all, Sean's show ain't as professional as mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just, kidding. I'm kidding. His is, is much, much more professional. Sean is a polished individual. And it's a pleasure to know you. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And I'll tell you, like I tell every guest, you have an open invitation. Anytime you want to come on, um, just give me a shout. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll be those vessels that, that you talked about being. So, but folks, and you have, and you, and, and, and by the way, too, you're very professional. It's an honor to finally be on your show. You've been doing your podcast for a while now. And for me just to be on your show for the very first time, it is such an honor and I'm really proud of you. Much success to you. And uh, yeah, vice versa. Absolutely. Well, humbly. Thank you. Thank you. And you know what, what, who, um, who was one of the catalysts for me even starting this show? Yeah. You cut my cousin. Yes. Um, <laughs> He, he kept on me, kept on me, kept on me. You, you know how I could be. Um, and I mean that in a good way. But one day I just sat down and talked. And that's how this began. Look, um, I'm still I'm still trying to get my cousin to start his own podcast. I've been saying that to him like eight, nine years ago. And he man. still has not. <laughs> Look, this, this will trail off into a whole other conversation. It will, we, yeah. We, we have tried. We said you, you saw us trying that. And I think what happened is... The, the people we were trying to, to work with didn't have that same drive, maybe, that he and I do. And, and speaking this to his, his uh, to, to kind of speak positives, he wants to do it professional. He wants to do it the right way. Oh, okay, and, so yeah, I, I understand. I understand, Ron, but to play devil's advocate, I'm going to have to talk to him about it on June 25th when we do our, I guess, our small family reunion type of thing. Or I'll what be have there. You. I, listen, I'm going to tell him, like, look, the, the best podcasters, the ones that are doing it, they started out small. Noriega started his Drink Champs podcast from out of his bedroom or whatever room him and DJ EFN were in and look where it got him now you got to start off small I, yeah. I understand that but you got to start small and work your way up that's what we did with the beat break morning show and look where it had taken us we, we'll, we'll talk we'll yeah, talk we'll, we'll work him you over know. that night we'll work him over that night <laughs> oh, listen, all, it take, all it just takes is a phone and a microphone and and that's it <laughs> yeah that's, i mean it's, it's, honestly that's what i'm that's what i've been doing for since 2019 i've got my my microphone plugged into my phone i'm recording from my phone and i've told the listeners they've heard me say this a million times i'm working towards getting the setup that i want but that's going to take time i do something every day to try to get me a step closer to that so but 
again, Sean, it's been a pleasure. It was a great conversation. It doesn't, and I'm not even being funny. It doesn't even feel like it's been over two hours. It really doesn't. But that's yeah. how it goes when you when you got good conversation going on. And you know no, it, from 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 experience, we can talk. <laughs> of course. So, <laughs> that's why that was that's why there was a part one <laughs> and a part two tonight. <laughs> so folks, uh until next week, between now and then, find someone that you don't know and just do something nice for them. Um as I say all the time, I truly believe that's one of the ways that we spark change that we're looking for. Just do something nice for them. Pay gas, pay whatever, just do something nice for them. And until next week, I don't know what the subject's going to be for next week. It will, I don't know. I know I've got some good things coming up um, in my life. In July, uh, me and a couple of friends will be taking a trip to Nashville to attend StarCast. And StarCast is a wrestling convention um, created and hosted by uh, one of the greatest podcasters I found, uh, Mr. Conrad Thompson. If you're a wrestling fan and you're not listening to some of Conrad's 100 shows that he's got out, check them out. They're very good. But um, th that will be a, a, a great trip for me. And what I plan on doing while we're up there each night, get on here and uh, recap our day, who we met, what we did, what it was like, and so on. So be on the lookout for that in July. And until next week, everybody, take care of yourself. Take care of one another. Sean, I want to tell you before we get off, this is another thing we need to normalize between men. I love you, brother. Love you too, bro. Love All right. Y'all take care. All right. Peace.